Some of you sometimes ask me, how do you come up with your sermons? Or how do you know what series to talk about? Or how do you do, you know, how do you prep your, your teaching schedule? And, and each year I've, you know, I, what I've done is I've talked through our core values the last three years. The first whole year we talked about worship back in 2016, if you could believe about it. 2017 we talked about community. 2018 we talked about mission and all the sorts of different ways. And, uh, and launched a new vision for our church and, and organizing that way. Uh, but over the next uh, few months, we're actually gonna, I'm actually going to follow closely um, in, in some different ways the, uh, the, the traditional church calendar. You're like, oh, that's exciting, Brandon, good job. Um, but it, we're actually going to f- talk through um, all the different ways. And there's actually five seasons um, in the church calendar before you get to the common time. Uh, but this season we're in was Advent, and it's all about God coming. Now, you know, obviously we know that the birth of Christ, uh, the, the date is hard to, uh, uh, you know, nail down. But what we do in Advent, we celebrate the coming of Christ. And we celebrate that, the fact that in our darkness, there is a light that's shown. We're going to talk about that today. Um, the season after Advent is Epiphany, which is uh, celebrating God with us. So God came in Advent. He is with us. And we talk about his mission on earth, the kingdom that we're invited into. Uh, we're also talking about how he teach it, talk about his teachings and the type of people that he wants us to be. Um, in Lent, which is what we, ce- we celebrate Lent most years here at Community Covenant. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna, so we're going to continue it. But we, we talk about how God is for us and how his journey to the cross um, is ultimately uh, for the sake of, uh, of peace with God and also of creating wholeness within us. Uh, then Easter, actually, sometimes we celebrate Easter for one Sunday, but Easter is actually an entire season. It's called Eastertide. Um, and we talk about the resurrection of Christ and, ha- and how the resurrection actually has something in it uh, for all things. And then we can see the resurrection take place. So we'll talk about that in April, May. And then Pentecost, God through us, so that the coming of the Spirit into the church uh, and the formation of the church and how through the church uh, he begins to change the world. Um, and, he's, and he's already moving and his mission is forming and he creates the church to kind of help participate with that. And uh, we're, so we're going we're gonna to follow that a little bit uh, this year. And it's going to be a lot of fun just to have a, an understanding of God is coming, God is uh, with us, God is for us, God is working in us, and he ultimately works through us uh, through the work of the Spirit. And so it's going to be a lot of fun to do that. That was the most invigorating opener I've ever given. Um, if you don't know, maybe now you know the church calendar if you didn't. Um, but man, I'm looking forward to doing that over the next few months. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, journey together. All right, Luke chapter 1. Um, my three favorite Christmas movies. All right, are we ready for this? How many, how many already will watch it? How many of you are like 13 Hallmark movies in? Right? <laughs> yeah, look at everyone's like, no shame, man. No shame. Uh, my first one, my, well, number three for me, number three for me, I giggle the entire time, is Elf. Come on now. All right, yeah. You know, if you believe it or not, Elf is 15 years old this year. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, really amazing. And it probably took a few years to get off, uh, to get off the ground. But uh, Elf, number three for me. Number two, of course, come on. How are we doing? Yep. How are we doing? Um, I still just like laugh the entire time. His tongue is stuck to the, to the pole. That's a, I don't know, maybe I'm weird like that. And then lastly, this is the one. This is the one. I like, you know, I, sometimes I giggle. Oh, you showed it too early. <laughs> come on. Like, you know, like some, in Elf, I giggle for like 30 minutes, right? The entire time. I just have like a low-grade giggle going on. But in this one, I have a low-grade laugh going on for the most movie, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, but how many you know when you watch Christmas movies, you kind of end up, you actually end up mentally skipping to your favorite parts. Do you know that? 
you see that? Like, you're kind of, I don't know if you're like decorating the tree or you're doing all this sorts of things, but you kind of mentally skip from place to place to place. And for the longest time, uh, you know, just with all the different people that I was watching these movies with, I only ever saw the TV version. Uh, how many know the TV version, right? The TV version of the movie, that's kind of how you get introduced to them. And then you, well, you know, so we sit down with our kids for, you know, one of the first times we've got our Christmas, got our Christmas feel going on. We got, we're feeling pretty good. And so I, I buy the, the, the movie for Christmas Vacation. And man, we're having a blast. It's Christmas night. And we're going through, going through. I'm sitting there with my seven-year-old son at the time, a seven-year-old son at the time. And how many know he goes on this really big rant right at the end of the movie? Right? How many know this part of the movie that I'm talking about? Right after he finds out that he just got joined the Jelly of the Month Club, right? We know this part. We know this part. Why? Because you've probably cringed as much as I did because I hadn't seen that part in the movie, right? Because I was watching it on the, they, they don't show that part on the TV. There's a lot of words in there that I had to explain to my seven-year-old boy, like, oh, he said a lot of things there that you had never heard before, right? And, and all of a sudden, I had these fresh eyes uh, for this story, right? I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm a terrible parent. Oh, my word, I'm a terrible parent. Um, because what, what you do is you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to the Uncle Eddie scene. Come on now, right? Like, we, we love that part. We love the, we love the part where, uh, you know, where the cat blows up, right? Perfect part. We love all these things. And then, but, how, but the more and more you talk about things, the more and more you see things, the more and more you hear these stories, the more you end up missing your, going to your favorite parts, going to the same thing, and you end up cycling through the same sections of the story with the same mentality. And so today, what we want to do, and we're going to, over the next, over Advent this year, is, is we're going to talk through how we can go through the Christmas story with some fresh eyes. And we're going to talk, and th- talk through the eyes of the different characters um, that, the, uh, that the story has. And so, you know, to help me out here, I got this amazing piece of... Of, I got this amazing piece of uh, technological equipment here, right? How many, how many remember the whole good old-fastened toy here, right? I mean, this, is, this kept you going on every rainy day, right? For, through, all throughout elementary school, you were like, okay, I'm just going to go through. Ooh, look at that guy, huh? I'm feeling that. Oh, we got a, oh, we got, oh, man, look at that cheetah. That's amazing, right? And it comes, you know, stock with all sorts of different, but with, with all sorts of different slides that you can put in here. And you just can see the story. You can see these things with some fresh eyes, right? And here's the thing is, is if you read through the Christmas story, um, I guarantee you, you wouldn't write the story like God wrote the Christmas story. I guarantee you. You know, there's a lot of, cra- there's a lot of plot twists in the Christmas story. You got this scandalous pregnancy, right? How many times do you ever have that marital fight where you're like, I got pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Like, awkward, right? Like, how do you explain that one away? Or, or, or how, about, how about this? Like, the Son of God comes uh, to earth, and he's here to, for the salvation of the world. And, and he couldn't get, a, like, a room in a house. Like, why? Like, there's all these little plot twists, all these little twists and turns and all these little bumps, things that really look like heaven didn't plan a lot for Jesus is coming, right? And, and, and I know you wouldn't write this story because you wouldn't write the story that God wrote the story because you don't write your story this way, right? When you are, are planning out your story in your head, man, you got, you got notoriety and you got things with, you know, like you're, you're meeting with kings. You're not, having, you're not having birth in a barn, 
right? That's not the window wing of the, in England. That's, that's, you, know, we, we got, that's, you, got, you don't have birth in the barn. You got all these major connections. You got all these, these you know, up and to the right plans for, for all the stuff that you got going on in the world. But how many know there are plot twists, right? You got plot twists in your life, and you got plot twists going on in your story. When you look back through your story, you can see those things happen. And maybe some of you are in a plot twist right now. I mean, think about that. Not all the time are we up and to the right when it comes to this sort of thing with our life. You know, sometimes the marriage doesn't work, and sometimes we, we find ourselves strapped financially. Sometimes we really don't see a lot of hope with a lot of different things, and we, 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 sometimes we lose loved ones, and we go through seasons like this where we just are finding ourselves navigating a whole lot of plot twists. Have you ever been there, right? If, if I'm the only one handing up, I'm, I mean, I was there, I've been there. And you had all these little plot twists. And, and so we wouldn't write the story like God wrote the story because we wouldn't write our story that way. And I think if some of you were honest in here today, um, maybe you might not be agreeing with how God's writing your story right now. You might not agree with how God is writing your story right now. But we have to navigate this. And what I love about the Christmas story is that the Christmas story um, is, is, a, is an invitation um, for you to trust how God is writing your story. It's an invitation for you to say, hey, you know what, I, I wouldn't have written it that way. You wrote it that way, and, it's, it's, and you're writing a story that's much better than one I could ever write. And although I got plot twists, and although I got twists and turns, and although I'm maneuvering through all these ups and downs, I know for sure that you are much more trustworthy than I am. And although I see these, I have all these expectations in life, I have all these things that are happening, and I might be able to trust you to write my story. And so whether or not we agree right now with how everything looks, we have an invitation today to trust that God can write a better story than we can. And that's what I think that the story of Mary is going to show us today. And so today I'm going to walk you through the anatomy of a plot twist. The anatomy of a plot twist. How many know the story of Mary? Yep, some of you, even if you, this is your first time in church, you probably know the story. But here's what it is. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent, the angel, God sent an angel to Gabriel, the, to Nazareth, a village. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found great favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the, baby to, uh, so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more is your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old, in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for, for nothing is impossible with God, and Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel 
left. We just got to talk through an anatomy. How many know this was a plot twist for Mary? This is a plot twist for Mary. And so there's an anatomy that we can learn from her that, that we can navigate the plot twist of her own life. Number one, the anatomy of a plot twist is the plot twist is the moment. The moments. When we are going through our life, we're going to sometimes have an unexpected turn. This was a very unexpected turn for Mary. This, this moment right, where she was, be, she was pregnant and it wasn't with Joseph, was, was able to legally get her killed in that day. Like that was the punishment for this type of engagement. If you got, uh, if you got pregnant outside of your uh, marriage, it was legally okay for you to be stoned. Like crazy. And I'm not talking about Massachusetts stone. I'm talking about like legit one, right? That's an awkward joke. Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to say... Like a legit one. And this, was a, this, would have, this would have not, this would have endangered Mary's life. This, this thing would have, this would have been completely a big deal for her. And so the moment that this is, we begin to see these plot twists take place, it, it will disorient us. And you know this to be true because you've gotten bad news before. And you've gone through tough seasons before that are just completely disorienting when the expectation that you have and some sort of new reality meets, you have this disorienting moment. And for Mary, this would have been extremely disorienting. She said, man, this is like confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I mean, how many of you have had seasons like that where you just, you're confused and disturbed? And sometimes like, like we like to think that we're hyper-faith people and we like to trust all the time. But man, I've had some seasons in my life where I just am confused and disturbed. And honestly, I'm probably confused and disturbed at God. And I've had to learn that these moments, I've had to learn how to navigate these moments. But the Bible's full of these moments. The Bible's full of them. For Moses, uh, his mom had to literally build a basket to keep him safe and alive, build a basket and send him down the river. I didn't know anything about that story until I had children. Until I had children, and I'm walking down the side, I'm walking through the airport, and I hear a, a six-month-old cry, and I'm like, all, everything inside of me wants to stop, drop my stuff, get back in my car, and go home. Like, you're like, we, like, there's that moment. I can imagine what it was like from, from Moses' mother to send her three-month-old baby down the river in a basket, just praying, just praying, God, do something. God, keep him safe. God, and, and praying that something like that will happen. There's a story of Ruth in the Old Testament where, where, he, where her husband dies and she travels with her mother-in-law into a new land, and, and God has all sorts of new developments for her in her life. And I don't know what more of the miracle is, whether or not she, you know, continued to trust God or traveled with her mother-in-law, you know, through the, into this new season, right? But she, but she has this brand new, this disorienting moment of a death in her family that creates this whole new path for her. You have Israel. Israel had this big understanding that God was going to be present in their nation. And instead of them going to the promised land, they get moved into exile twice. The northern kingdom to Assyria and the, the southern kingdom to Babylon. Like, like you have these moments all throughout the, the story. You have Paul. Paul's getting ready to start this brand new journey to plant churches all throughout Asia. And, and, and he has this major disagreement with a man named Barnabas over the, over the idea of including someone in on his team. 
this major disagreement, the Bible says that they couldn't get it resolved and they had to split ways. You can imagine losing your partner in your work. Like, like there's these moments in the Bible that are disorienting moments. And you know, we have many decisions to make, but the, 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 the announcement of Christmas is the announcement of the Messiah. In Isaiah 9-2, this is what the announcement for this Messiah is. If you could go to that next slide there. It says, those living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And so in, like jam-packed in the promise of Jesus is this announcement that in the midst of your darkness, there's a light that's coming. See, the church right now, we're in between the resurrection and the return of Jesus. And what this means is that the resurrection is actually available to us to see new life happen, but it's already here, but it's not yet fully realized, meaning that there's still pain, there's still death. There, although we can see resurrection take place, and although we can see all things work together for good, there's still the idea that we have these disorienting moments. And for Mary, this was a major disorienting moment. But, but she knows something to be true about the son of David, this one that, that, that the Old Testament has been talking about for years, this one that, that, the one that they deep baked, baked deep into their bones as a nation. They're expecting the coming of the one that was going to restore all things and make everything right. And she knew that was going to be the son of David. So this, this angel saying, hey, you're going to carry the son of David. You have this disorienting moment. What could this mean? For me, and she had to trust God all the way throughout Jesus' life. It wasn't like, hey, this really crazy birth. I mean, it was all throughout his childhood, even until his death. And then three days later, her life got real crazy. There were these disorienting moments. And so for us as, a, as, a, as, a, as people, as humans, we move through these stories. The, the next part, though, of this plot twist is that she begins to process this disorientation. And so you have, the, you have the moments, but then you have the questions. You have the questions. How many have ever asked questions of God? Right? Yeah, come on. Like, why, God? Like, what's going on here? Look, look what Mary does here. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Verse 34, she says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? Now look, in the Bible, there are two, uh, there are two other birth announcements. Uh, there's one to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. And, and, and what, what happens is, is God tells Abraham, man, uh, Sarah's going to have a baby. And, 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 and baked into the question is this really res- like rejection of the promise. Like, Sarah's old, too old to have a baby. And there's this moment where God says, can't I do anything? And there's another one, and just earlier in Luke chapter 1, where it comes to John the Baptist, uh, when it, John the Baptist is conceived, he's, where, where, where God is promising um, uh, the birth of, of this baby, and Elizabeth is just completely saying, no, I'm too old. I'm too old. And even Mary, Mary says the same thing. How can this happen? And you, see, you begin to see, like, really, all three of those are very similar. They get, they get responded to, they get this promise of God, but at the same time, they get this pushback. And I got I to gotta realize, like, like, I got to think that in the midst of that moment, God understands the heart of the person asking the question. And I think we really have two different ways that we can go. We can either be cynical or we can be skeptical. 
Now look, cynical, cynical is a hard issue. Cynicism is a hard issue. It's a, it's a pattern that we have as people just baked into ourselves from our pride. It's the cynicism of like, it's something outside of my box, outside of my expectation, outside of what I think should happen. And you have this moment, this heart posture of cynicism. And then the other side, you have this skepticism. Skepticism is just trying to deduce the, the logic behind something where you might be asking some thoughtful questions about what's going on. Mary obviously asked a question, right? And so again, we can pretend to think that we're all hyper-faith and be like, hey, you know what? I got it. I got this. You know, all the time, if, if an angel showed up to me and said I was going to have a, I was gonna have a baby uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'd be like, all right, God, we got this. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Let's be real in church this morning. No. No, you wouldn't. Uh, and in fact, I spent most of my life reading stories like this and saying, what, an angel showed up? God, please don't ever do that to me. That would freak me out, man. Please don't ever. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. I like to think that I am, but I'm not. And there's just some healthy skepticism to say, God, uh, can you show me more? In James chapter 1, the, the, the scriptures teach us that if we have questions, that we should go ask the Lord for wisdom. And it's healthy to have this amazing moment of, of dialogue with the Lord. Like, God, God, can you help me figure out what's actually happening here? Can you, can you help me take steps here? But what I love about this is that not always does, do you have answers to those questions, but you're allowed to ask them. When you're reading a, a book that's just thousands of years old about stories about a God that's interacting with his people, not all the time are you going to read through and be like, oh, praise the Lord. Like when you go through the Old Testament with your children, don't you skip some stories, right? Because it's hard to answer some of those questions. The, the God of the universe is worthy to be trusted, and he's even big enough for your questions. And so, man, I don't know what plot twist you got going on in life. Maybe you're coming out of one. Maybe you're getting ready to go into one. But you have this moment of disorientation where you're like, oh, man, I can't believe this is happening. Yet God is present in the midst of that. And then you can ask some good questions if you go to him in prayer. The Bible says he's faithful to, to be with us in those moments. And if we need wisdom, that we can ask him. But we have to ask ourselves the question, are we in our hearts cynical of the promise or of the moment of the season that God has us in? Or are we skeptical of not really being sure how to do it? I think one of them is pride and I think the other one is human. I think one of these is prideful and I think the other one is just the reality of us being humans. And so if we can ask thoughtful questions with this understanding that God is sovereign over all, that he's big enough for us to call us to him even in the midst of not understanding anything, we can navigate the plot twists of our life and we can trust him to write our story. And so the anatomy of this plot twist is that Mary's interacting with God and, and, and God is literally like, you're going to have a baby, man. And, and there's this moment of disorientation. This brand new season is going to open up for Mary. Not even just a season. This whole, whole, whole life is going to change. He says, I found you faithful and I found you with favor. And she has a question. God, how, how is this going to happen? 
And, and he does, he moves into this. He, she doesn't have a heart of cynicism, rejecting God, but she's how, she, has, she has some skepticism to say, God, how would you do this? And he continues. He says, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the, whole, the Most High will overshadow you because that clears it up, right? So the baby to be born will be holy and he will call the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. What I love about what God does with this response here is that it doesn't just show her what Mary's doing and the story with Mary, but he gives her a testimony about someone else's life. You say, you want to trust me? Go talk to Elizabeth. See how I'm working in her life. Sometimes in a plot twist, you need a friend. And you need their story about how God is faithful to them. And he says this, uh, he continues, where he says, People used to say she was barren, but now she's conceived a son, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you say about me come true. So you have this moment of disorientation, this brand new season. What you were expecting did not happen. We know these stories. We have questions about them, and we can fight for some cynicism or some skepticism. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we have our response. And what is Mary's response here? I am your servant. Whatever you say, may it become true. I am your servant. Do you see the heart, the posture of her heart in this moment? Is not cynicism. It's not this, God, you, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? Like, how many of you have had that posture before? Like me, like I've been angry that God hasn't given me what I expected from him. And he's got this posture, this, Mary's just got this posture, I am the Lord's servant. And she's got this decision to make. I can either run from this disorienting season in fear, or I can choose to have a deep faith. I can, I can run from this entire thing in fear. Or I can choose to have a deep faith. If you go to the next slide, you have this question to ask yourself. Are you going to be fearful or are you going to be faithful? See, here's what I love about, uh, about, what I love about faith is that faith isn't, uh, doesn't repel questions, but faith knows where to take questions. Faith doesn't say no to questions, but faith knows, faith knows who to go to when you're in need of an answer. And Mary's response here is faith. Okay, I'm your servant. I mean, I've been in deep, deep struggle. I've been in deep, deep trial. But here's what I know, what I love about this. Whatever you said, whatever you said, may it come true. Whatever you said, may it come true. And here's what I love about Mary's story is that she knows deep down what Paul's going to teach us in Romans chapter 8, where it says this. Go to that next slide, Romans 8. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, this can be a... If you got some cynicism in your heart, you're like, I've heard that one before. And the reality is nothing's good. Not everything's good. I mean, I've prayed that prayer before, right? Like, God, you said this, yet my life is this. But you know what I, realized, what I realized very quickly as I've been walking with the Lord is that I'm not the definer of good. I don't get to define. I'm not the creator. I'm not the author. 
I'm not the finisher of my faith. And I don't get to define what is good. But God is good. So he says, you have all these things going on in your life right now, man. And like I'm looking around the story, and I know some of your stories right now. Right now, immediately, right now, today, you are just holding on for faith. You got questions coming out of your ears, don't you? And you're saying, God, give me some faith. Help me trust you. Let me trust that you're going to define the good, that somehow you're going to make this whole thing good. What I love about the story of Moses is that, is that Moses' mom sends him down the river, but he becomes the king's second in command, and he ultimately becomes the leader of the nation of Israel. What I love about Ruth is that she's this moment, this, this inspiration for this entire nation, that if you trust God, that, that there is a person that's going to be a kinsman redeemer for you. There's someone who's going to redeem your story. What I love about Paul is that after the split, there's multiple churches that start, and God is still engaging with that because for all of these people, through all of their plot twists, through all of their expectations that are not met by God, they trust him and ultimately his story. Their stories are written by faith. And so for us as a people, what we get to learn from the story of Mary is that when we can't have a hard time trusting in what's happening, we can remember what God has spoken. Go to this next one. When we don't know what God is doing, and we've asked that question before, when we don't know what God is doing, we can remember what God has spoken. Here's some things that God has said about you. He says, you are God's workmanship. So don't get stuck saying, man, I'm a, I'm a mess and I'm a failure because he says, I'm working on you. Thank God we're all a bunch of working messes, aren't we? Come on now. I am completely forgiven. No, no, no. No, literally, you're like, you're forgiven. All the things that come to your brain when you say that. No, you're forgiven. All the dudes in here right now that have a hard time always forgiving and forgiving themselves, because I know that because I am one. He says, no, 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 you are forgiven. And you can give that to me. He says, he says I am Jesus' friend. Like Jesus literally calls you not just your follower and some sort of little thing. He says, no, you're my buddy. You're my friend. I want to be with you. He says, I am a whole new person. Like when I get to claim that, when I'm feeling moving through these plot twists that I'm just a failure, that I am a new person creation built in Christ. I am created in God's image. And so literally God made me to look like him. And I am the image of God on earth. I get to show people what he's like. He says, I have, to inher- I have inherent worth and value because you're created in that image. Built into your DNA is this strong foundation of your identity in Christ, not wandering so that you can find your satisfaction in all sorts of different things, not wandering so that you have to worry about the size of your house, not wandering so that you have to pile up massive amounts of things, not wandering so that you can find your healing and substance, none of that. He says, man, I have an identity that was, has the foundations of the earth tied to it, and you have inherent worth and value. And he says, ultimately, you are the residence of God's spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What I love about this story, that Mary, Mary's womb 
is literally the path of the Holy Spirit. God starts this entire world. He says, I want to be on the earth. And he comes down, and then ultimately he finds his residence in a tabernacle, and then he finds his residence in a temple. And then when Jesus comes to earth, John chapter 1 says that he came and he tabernacled with us and the promises to Mary that you are going to be the presence, you're going to be the, 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 the house of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be the house of the Messiah. And then he says to us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Advent is about a coming. And it's about a coming of light into the midst of darkness. And so we shouldn't be people that get all crazy when bad things happen, but we should become people that know how to trust when they do. And so in our stories, as we navigate the expectancies, and we navigate the plot twists, and we become disoriented, we can learn to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Messiah, that he's sovereign over all, and that when we don't know what God is doing, we can remember what he has spoken. He's spoken to us that he is Lord. And when we can trust that he's the creator, and when we can trust that we're the creation, we can learn that we're not the author and the finisher of our story, but God is. And so I don't know where you're at in your life today, But my invitation is for you through the story of Mary. To remember that God is the author of your story. And no matter what disorientation you have today, no matter what missed expectancy you have today, God's with you. And he's given you a whole season to celebrate that. And I pray that we do that well as a church. As we find ourselves stuck between the resurrection and the return of Christ. With brokenness in one hand, but just a dire miracle on the other. We can learn to trust that God's present with us today.